0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome,
1: wiretappers. This is a special episode of Gangland Wire. Now, I don't know if you remember this or not, but if you are a financial supporter of the podcast... I do a Zoom call periodically, and you will get an invitation to participate in that Zoom call with me. Sometimes I have a guest. Uh, this particular episode, uh, we're going to have a guest. Now you can ask any questions you want in these calls. Uh, you can participate as much or as little as you want, as long as it's within the bounds of decency. You know, we had a guy get in trouble recently for exposing himself on a podcast. Now uh, it's mainly all guys here, so you know. Uh, Uh, But, you know, within the bounds of decency, you know what I mean. Uh, This week I'm releasing the uh, Zoom call we had with uh, special guest Paul Scharf. Um, I did a podcast with him a few years ago, and I thought folks would like to have a chance to maybe ask him some questions, some follow-up questions. Uh, In short, Paul's father was killed by a member of Spilatro's Hole-in-the-Wall gang, a guy named Larry Newman. And this was a cold case up in McHenry County Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, uh, until Frank Collada wrote about it in his book. Uh, He and uh, Denny Griffin, uh, Paul will tell the story about how he learned about that, who killed his father, and how he ended up contacting Denny, and then uh, Frank Collada, and and a uh, quite a Personal saga. After that, to end up fighting corruption in the uh, sheriff's office and helping to get a new sheriff elected up there in McHenry County, because they were you know, like this is right next to Cook County, folks. So uh, it's a great personal story. So welcome to uh, Zoom call here with uh, Paul Scharf and a bunch of other uh, podcast supporters. Uh, we'll start right in after a kind of a series of questions
0: and answers with me, Gary. I'd love to hear the story out. I'm sure, I don't know if everybody has heard it. Paul's story. First of all, his book is, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, tr- tragic, you know, uh, terrible what happened, obviously. I don't know if everybody knows what happened I'll get out of the way. It's Paul's story, but Paul's uh, a book and, and, life story and story about his dad and, and, and Gary mentioned Frank Collada, Paul, if you don't mind, would you mind talking about how that came together and, 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 I don't know if everybody knows the story about your dad and everything, Paul, but if you wouldn't mind, is that okay, Gary, Paul? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was thinking about doing bit. that with
1: just him, yeah, but let's just go ahead and do it.
2: Very good. And thanks for the comments, Larry. Um, so my my father um, owned a bar out in uh, Lakemore, Illinois, or McHenry, Illinois, which is about 44 miles northwest of Chicago. And on June 2nd, 1981, Um, He was gunned down, him and his um, um, bar employee, uh, Patricia Freeman. Um, We were given a person back then and who might have killed my father, um, but it ultimately wound up being a cold case for about 27 years. And then um, my uh, former babysitter um, was taking her father home back from Illinois, back down to Arkansas. And she was asking her father, because her father, uh, Jim, was my dad's best friend. And, um, and she asked him, you know, who do you think killed Ron? So um, he mentioned the guy that we were told uh, back, back in the day. And he also mentioned a gentleman named Larry Newman. So when um, Holly, that was my former babysitter, when she got home, she started Googling Larry uh, Newman. And the first website that came up was a serial killer website, <laughs> and from there, yeah. uh, he, he said that he was from McHenry, and that's where we were from.
1: Yeah,
2: and uh, so she kept on googling him a little bit more, and then um, she came up with this book, Colada, and of course, this book was about Frank Colada. And uh, 27 years later, on page 130 of Frank Collada's book, it tells me who killed my father. And, um, and I guess that kind of really started the whole quest with me of trying to get Larry Newman named as the killer of my father. And uh, uh, it kicked off a lot of things from there, actually how'd
1: you yeah. get hold of frank you got hold of frank how'd you get hold of him what was the process because he wasn't that easy to find i was trying to find him myself to try to get him to be in my uh documentary and, and uh, i couldn't find him other than through
2: an fbi agent well um what i did is I, I grabbed the book and i saw that um you know it was dennis griffin and at the time i referred to him you know as, as mr griffin mr griffin uh, now he's denny <laughs> now it's denny and um So I I, uh, reached out to the publisher, and, you know, you can get through, you know, whatever gateways they have. Hey, in your book, you guys figured out who killed my father. I was hoping I can talk to the author. They they tend to put you in contact with the people that you need to. So I was uh, talking to a guy, uh, Sipkin, Sipkin, something like that. Anyway, he was the publisher's PR guy. And I was referring to Mr. Griffin. And he said, you know, I'll get your email on over to Denny. And when he said Denny instead of Dennis, I was like, okay, this this probably be the right guy. And so I put an email together. I fired it off to him. And then, um, I don't know, about an hour, hour and a half later, um, I got the phone call from Denny. And, and we just started communicating from there. And things just kind of snowballed. One of the things about that and i didn't
0: mean to laugh when you said the the website serial killer that 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 was sort of a laugh indicating the shock of opening up (laughs) really and then you see that this guy's a serial killer which newman was you know one of the most evil characters on the planet but um one of the things you uncovered paul that i think is fascinating about your book and your story you know tragic but but you know really telling and and how hard-nosed you are and how you know what a great digger and investigator and how courageous you are you ran into a lot of uh, uh, corruption up in McHenry county and you know you uh, have a backbone made out of rebar and and, <laughs> and 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 did not stop that fight even though you were up against a corrupt officialdom you you continued to fight would you mind talking about that a little bit and then As Gary said, you know, I'd love to know how you got went from idea to fighting corrupt officialdom to getting it published.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I I like that you called it uh, a crushing corruption officialdom or, or something referenced to a system. I refer to it as the regime.
0: Yeah, and that's
2: and that's all I thought. So because because there's a lot of components to this stuff, right? We've got law enforcement, we got the newspaper, we got board members. So it it becomes a system, really, that operates this corruption. Now, um, I look at my world back then in two campaigns. My first campaign is where. You know, it was like me and Denny. Um, I don't know if he was my wingman, if I was his wingman, but um, I'll tell you what, Denny acted like it was his father that was killed. And we went ahead and said, you know, we're going to go ahead and get Larry Newman named as killer, my father. And that was the first campaign. Um, You if you look at my shows and stuff that I did back then or my references back (laughs) then, I seem like I'm open minded to the sheriff's office. Like, let's see what they do. I didn't trust them from the get go, but I knew as far as PR was concerned, for me to kind of, you know, you know, poo poo on the sheriff's office right out of the gate, probably wouldn't have won hearts and minds. So I just let them do their thing. And, you know, I I knew I could rely on them. They, They would do their own stuff that people would see who they were. And and they certainly did with the way that they treated me, neglected me. I would reach out to them. Um, they were hoping that I would go away, you know, thanks to channel five news and my community. They the sheriff's office realized that I wasn't just going to go away. So that was my first campaign, Larry. And that's kind of where I got my sea legs with things. I felt like I always asked Denny, I'm like, did we know what we were doing? You know, because <laughs> I didn't feel like we knew what we were doing. But we did everything perfectly because when I went on my second campaign, and that's when I was going to deal with this corruption that you were talking about, I knew exactly what I was going to do. And I already had structure already built in. And my my structure was already existing out there for a couple of years at that point in time. So whereas my first campaign, trying to get Larry Newman named as the killer of my father, um, you know, we were just throwing everything up against the wall and just hoping things would stick. And 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 things did. Things stuck really well. And that was my lesson for when the second campaign came around. Um, and now I had my book, and I was going to utilize my book and create a voice for myself for the sheriff's election. And so at the beginning of this, you know, I didn't know. Um Who I was going to vote for. I mean, uh, McHenry County was so corrupt um, that I really didn't want to go ahead and uh, go ahead and give grief to one guy and then promote somebody else that was corrupt just because it wasn't that guy. I was just going to make sure that the story was told. Um, But one of the things when I released my book that kind of surprised me a little bit was how much support I really had at the McHenry County Sheriff's Office. And at first I thought, wow, that's kind of weird, you know, maybe they didn't read the book all the way through. <laughs> but, uh, but actually uh, I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, I go, look, you don't, you know, me personally, I don't even like dealing with these guys and I don't have to, you know, I hate calling them unless I have to call them. Um, could you imagine working for these guys? I mean, they got it worse than I do. You know, I might not have to call them. I can make the choice not to call them. But these guys got a mortgage and everything else. They got to show up for work and they got to go work for these guys. And when you're in that bubble of corruption, all different kinds of things go on. It's a constant eroding of normalcy. And so there's a constant messaging of pull the line or else you're going to get thrown outside the boat. And so I had lots of stories of deputies telling me how they had to turn in their perfectly good um, cop car to go pick up the raggedy cop car that had, you know, poor brakes on it and everything else, just letting them know, this is what happens when you don't tow the line. We're going to impact your equipment. You know, we may even impact on whether we show up to back you up. You know, so it's a real living, breathing thing. Um, for a lot of those deputies at the sheriff's office. Um, but, you know, corruption is, is, is a big thing. Um, I was taken on the world, um, but I was so hell-bent on honoring my father. And, you know, in the first investigation back in 1981 of my father's murder, you know, we know that the, uh, uh, the McHenry County Sheriff's Office was connected to the Chicago outfit Um, But one of the patterns that happened there was, you know, it was Lieutenant Hendel that did the investigation on uh, my father. And then he later became Sheriff Hendel. Well, it was Lieutenant Zanke that did the second investigation. He was already under Sheriff Zanke. And now he was going to run for sheriff. I was like, no way are we going to do two of these guys. So that's when I decided to go ahead and show up and you have to be a perpetual force and be a constant force if you're going to go ahead and take on corruption like this. And the timing of this was so perfect for me, uh, because, you know, I'm sure anybody that's watched or dealt with corruption, and if you are the individual that's standing up against it, it's not them that's on trial, it's you that's on trial. And fortunately for me, Um, We already had a couple deputies that turned on the sheriff in a very big way. Um, They had some wrongful termination cases going, so they were in the news. And the sheriff's office spent all their time grinding on these guys, trying to ruin their reputation, so on and so forth. But this has been going on for a couple years. So by the time that I showed up... um, the sheriff's office was being revealed for what it was. So when I came on board, I was just another validation saying that what you've heard is true. And let me tell you some stories about these guys. So my attack was, um, you know, to go ahead and to pull together all this information out there in the wide world web and start centralizing it and telling stories. So every week, I was telling a story in my blog, and I would either be telling a story about McHenry County specifically, or I would flip to a Chicago outfit story that had parallels to another story that I was going to tell about McHenry County. And so like you know, with McHenry County, um, some of the outfit stories I would tell, I'd talk about fixers. You know, now with Michael Cohen and Donald Trump's lawyer, everybody knows what a fixer is. And I thought it was incredibly crazy that we're talking about the United States president and his fixer, because Mm -hmm. to me, that was that was a mob guy. You know, that was probably a, a mob attorney or a very well politically connected mob guy. Um, so I would start telling stories about some of the famous fixers, you know, from the Chicago outfit, you know, like Jake Guzik and um, and then start explaining people that looked like them in McHenry County. and started drawing parallels with that. And then, you know, my ultimate attack was um, uh, the uh, the sheriff's deputies. Uh, I forgot. To, sorry, I just started jack- jacking away. But the reason why the sheriff deputies were reaching out to me, they kept on mentioning this guy named Bill Prim. And this is who they want to be their sheriff. And I started looking into Bill Prim, and he was a former deputy commander of the Des Plaines, uh police uh, out here in the Chicagoland area. Displains is a significant town. Um, half of O'Hare Airport's in Displains, and the other half's in Elk Grove. Uh, and he was a 20 year local of McHenry County. Um, so he was part of the community, but not part of the regime. And so um, that's where I supported my, uh, or through my support to Bill Pram. And that's what my attack was, to dime the sheriff out, uh, undersheriff about what they do and to support Bill Pram in his election for sheriff of McHenry County.
1: Interesting. Now, Paul, am I thinking right, didn't,
2: when one reason
1: they, since Frank Coulada is the one that would have implicated Larry Newman in this, he would have been the main witness. It would have been hearsay, but he was, you know, he would have been part of the case had they proceeded against Larry Newman. Didn't they intentionally not want to validate anything Frank Coulada would say because he was testifying in a lot of other mob cases and, and every, any time he would testify in a case and it would get a conviction then the next time he'd testify against somebody, that prosecutor, whoever's prosecuting that case, would say, Oh yeah, Mr. Culada, you know, gave information in this case, and Larry, Mr. Newman was uh, was convicted. Weren't they, weren't they kind of like acting, uh, am I remembering that right, acting for the outfit to discredit Frank Culada as a witness?
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, to kind of give a little background on Frank Collada, um, for those that have, uh, you know, seen the movie Casino, um, that was about uh, Nicky Santoro and Ace Rothstein, um, but that is actually based on real-life Chicago uh, mobster uh, Tony uh, Spilatro and Frank um, uh, Rothstein. Rosenthal, Rosenthal. Rosenthal, Rosenthal. My apologies, Rosenthal. And um, and Tony Spolatro was uh, Chicago's Las Vegas boss, and Frank Colada worked for him. And Frank Colada actually was um, the technical advisor to the movie Casino. So when Frank turned, that was a very significant player that turned, and the Chicago outfit knew it. He was high up in the ranks. He knew about everything that was going on in the Chicago outfit. So in particular to my father's case, um, the Chicago outfit certainly weighed in and did not want that case to be brought forward for exactly what you said, Gary. Because um, if the case was brought forward, it been brought forward by testimony by Frank Collada, if that case would have, they would have won and convicted Larry Newman as the murderer of my father and Patricia Freeman, then Frank would have his first credible win. And that would line him up to be a credible witness going forward on anything else. And certainly a murder case is significant. And that would have gave him a lot of credibility. Yeah. Interesting.
1: So what about getting the book published? How, did, how come you didn't have, how come you didn't write it with Denny? You had a co-author. How, how did that process work?
2: Well, I, I did reach out to my wingman or yeah. I being mean his wingman, whatever the yeah. case was. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely wanted Denny to uh, co-author the book with me um, because not only would he have been a great co-author, yeah. he's a great author, but he 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 rode on the ride with me. So I he, know. Would have, he would have a lot to contribute to this. Um, but uh, at the time when I asked him, he was writing Andrew D. Dana, uh, Donato's book, oh, uh, yeah. Surviving the Moth. Yeah. No, so he was already in that project. Um, so while well, I was like, well, do you have anybody that you can, uh, refer me to? And, uh, he referred me to his buddy, Keith, Keith Bettinger. And, uh, so it was me and Keith that, uh, went ahead and, and, and wrote that book.
1: How did that work? Did you like hack it out yourself and, and just, you know, just stream of consciousness, just tell your story and then give it to him. And he started working on it and massaging it or how, how did that work?
2: Yeah, I would I would say I was preoccupied with a lot of things because, you know, I had a full time job and I bought a house. I, I had all these other extracurricular things going. Um, so what we did is once a week, uh, I believe it was like every Thursday night, um, I would just get on the phone with him and tell him stories. And he would just go ahead and take his notes. And then throughout the week, he would put together a little something And then um, he would send it on over to me and I would go through it, proof it and, uh, you know, add notes to it and whatnot. And we worked it together um, until, uh, you know, we got it to where I thought it needed to be.
1: Interesting. Did you have another editor? Did you send it off to another editor to kind of give it a final touch or was he able to do that?
2: Not, not towards, uh, until the end, we did that. We started bringing other folks into it. And, you know, we really, we gave it out to actually a few people. Um, You really can't have enough editors, to be honest. (laughs) Um, So, you know, we, we did it that way. Um, There was, there's a few things that I learned. Um, You know, we were just kind of, just kind of winging it, going at it a little bit, meaning that I was just, whatever story I felt like telling on Thursday, that's what I did. And we probably should have added a little structure to that. That might've made things a little bit easier. Um, Reshuffling all these things back together, all these different stories and streamline it into a book format.
1: Here's something I've done with with the book I wrote. Actually, I wrote a couple other, um, one, one other that I did this with about civil war kind of era stuff. And, and there's things called there's people out there to call beta readers, and you can find them online. Uh, like there's this company called Upworks. You can hire people to do almost anything in that technical. Uh, I've just hired somebody to, to edit my podcast here lately. I've, I've quit editing podcast, and, and uh, so they beta readers for about twenty five bucks. They'll give you read your book a quick read and and give you some really good feedback because because I tell you what, you give it to your friends and you know. They'll say, "Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great." Yeah, I I paid them to tell me you know what was wrong about it. the first one. Said, "You know," it said, "You have two different books here." <laughs> and I said, "Oh okay, let me take a look." And she was right, you know. And I had two different books, so so I did about three beta readers, and then and and, and then a developmental editor, and then a final editor. So it's uh, good writing is hard as anybody that's ever written anything to uh, to try to earn money with or or. Uh, influence people with. It's hard. It's difficult.
2: Yeah, well, I I concur with that. Uh, you know, I would say that, um, you know, not only do you have to be an author, but you, you have to be your own hype man. You really yeah. have to oh, figure yeah. out what, what that's all about. Even if you have a publisher deal, um, you're still going to be your own hype man. I mean, it, go talk to Denny. Yeah. He'll, he'll tell you all about it. He's been doing this for God, well, I think we're going on 25 years or yeah, so, so with, with, with yeah, so. Denny. And, um, and, he, and he has publishers that certainly go out and, and, and back things. And, and where, where you want to hold your publisher accountable is the wholesale books, you know, because I'm not, you know, as an author, I'm not going to go around and talk to warehouse managers explaining our return policy. Right. Yeah, so yeah, your, yeah. Your, your publisher's got to handle that kind of stuff. But you are the face of your project, whether it be a book, podcast, movies, whatever it is that you're doing. And you need to learn to be your own hype man. And um, you know, there, there's one book that I recommend to people, and I've been recommending this book over the years. I stop lending out my copy because I don't get it back. It's yeah. <laughs> the Sales Bible by Jeffrey Gitmer. Um, I believe it's G-I-T-O-M-E-R. And it's the sales Bible. Um, It's everything. It's it's everything you need. No fluff in the book. And what it does is it takes it from the very beginning of taking a cold call and working that all the way into you know radio and TV and everything in between. You know, World Wide Web, social media. And I think that if you uh, anybody that was a novice in sales or in business, you could read this book. And figure out what it is that you needed to do, you know, and what you need to do is to figure out, to create a journey for your product, whatever it is, your book, your story, your movie. And, um, and the book will tell you how to do that because your message has to be consistent um, with whatever you're doing, you know? So if you're posting stuff online, you're doing direct mailers, you're doing something on the radio, All that stuff should tie together. There shouldn't be three different things going on. It should be one message um, all the way through. So I I think that's one thing that um, I would tell people. And, um, you know, quite frankly, you are the best hype man that you can meet. You know, everybody else, they're (laughs) going to drain your wallet if they're worth anything. And and anybody else is probably not worth anything is wasting your time. You know, you gotta get traction in early, um, a little bit before your launch, and you need to hustle all the way on through. Um, for me, um my motivation was my father. It was my mission, you know, it was to honor my father, to hold men accountable. And um, so I just had the drive that, you know, nothing was gonna stop me and, and nothing did. Um If you don't have that kind of drive or whatever, you need to have a really good plan and pick up the sales Bible and and that will help you out with that.
1: And uh, and another thing that uh, you need to watch out for, if you're thinking about doing a book is these publishers that, that make any kind of promises about helping you sell it or doing anything. uh, You got to be real careful and try to get some references and maybe find somebody that's worked with them because the publisher it's important if you ever want to get it into Barnes & Noble or Target or something like that. They're the only ones that can get you to the, through that door. I've, I've never even tried it. I just self-published everything I did. But maybe maybe I'll try that one of these days. I'll have to I'll hire me an author just to ghostwrite something and put my name on it.
2: <laughs> but
1: well,
2: uh, well, I've gone through the process of um, getting a publisher and firing a publisher.
1: You did, and didn't you? I remember.
2: I, 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 I certainly did. Um, you know, I, it, you know, it was funny. I'm, I'm a pretty confident individual. I can pretty much make up my mind. And if, you know, if I feel strongly about it and nobody else does, but I still think it's the right thing to do, I'm going to still commit to that. But I was in a situation to where, you know, I knew people like Denny. I knew a few authors like Denny that they, you know, I, I knew how hard these people work to go ahead and get a book deal. And, and basically, I just show up and say, can I have a book deal? And yeah, sure. And so you know, I, I felt I didn't feel like a spoiled brat, but I didn't want to act like a spoiled brat. And, and, and this publisher was not only my publisher, but he was Frank Collada's publisher, Denny's publisher, Vito Colucci's publisher. All these people that I knew, um, was he was their publisher, and, and Keith, my co-author, he's like a real author, you know? What do an author need? They need a publisher, right? So I, I've i been talking to our publisher. Um, I'm a business analyst by trade. So I would talk to him about marketing and stuff like that. And he, and he just wasn't flipping the bill for me. And so I just sat there and I bite my tongue, bite my tongue, bite my tongue, and, you know, but I'm talking to Keith and I'm just like, okay, I don't feel good about this guy, you know, but I'm the only one complaining. So, um, you know, so when it came, we, we we launched our book with the publisher. I'm not saying anything. I don't know what his marketing plan is. He's telling me he's marketing our book. Um, but by first quarter, I said, so what are the wholesale numbers? You know, because all the other numbers, they're mine. I got those numbers.
1: Yeah, you sold those.
2: Yes. And and uh, he's like, well, zero. I'm like, all right. I got off the phone with him. I called Keith. I'm like, can we fire this guy now? Because <laughs> you know, Q1, you know, Q1 is going to be your biggest numbers. They should be your biggest numbers. And, uh, and if we got a zero in Q1 from this guy, we can sure bet. That we're going to get a zero on Q two, and you know I'm like Keith. This guy's not a publisher; he's a printer. Let's acknowledge that. Yeah. Let's let's figure this out. Um, so Keith, you know, begrudgingly, he he gave me permission. I went and fired the guy. I had to buy my book back, so I had to buy my material back. He got all the big uh, first quarter sales, um, but. I knew that I would have been so frustrated with this gentleman that our best move was just to go ahead and get away from him. And, um, and so ultimately that's what, what I did. And, you know, and I don't know if I was any better for it, but, um, certainly Keith was better for it because then we went to a self publishing model and which gave me more direct control of what I was going to do with the book. And, um, and I had a certain reality that, Writing books don't make you rich, uh, by no means. Um, so I was uh, pretty good that my book was going to serve well for my mission. So I was able to go ahead and do that. And my mission was to educate the people in McHenry County of who their sheriff and under sheriff was. Um, so that that that's what I did with the book. Um, but but since we were self-publishing, um, I could give Keith a lot more money per book. Than what we were getting through a publishing deal. When you're going through a publisher, you're getting cents for each, you know, for each book that you sell. Um, and um, I didn't turn that into a lot of dollars, but at least I turned it into dollars for Keith. And, you know, again, back to like, I'm thinking, I, you know, we need a publisher. Um, just like taking on my father's case, we need a lawyer. Well, I didn't really get a good publisher. I never got a good lawyer, but I got the best. <laughs> And that I could. And that was me, you know, because nobody believed in my project more than myself. And and that's what you need going forward with that project. So I I know like author types, producer types, maybe aren't business type people, but give it a shot. Give yourself a little education. Get the sales Bible. Knock that read out. Put a little something together. It will make sense. If it makes sense, it's probably going to make sense to others. And get out there and be your own hype man.
1: Good. I just put up a link to your book on Amazon. Get a little, little promotion for you here. <laughs> Thank you. Any other questions for Paul? I'm trying to think if I have any. It is pretty interesting. I know he, he and I talked about uh, this whole Kindle thing and to uh, the, the scheme with Kindle. And, and Paul was able to amp it up a little bit with that. That's what I did with my movie is, is you give it away for free for about three or four days and you let everybody, know, and then once a bunch of people will get it on Kindle and then that amps it up in their algorithms and and they'll show it more and then more people will buy it. So I need, I'm going to do that with mine one of these days. I've got the emails all written out to about 700 people who I have an email list and to what I'm doing. And I just never, I just keep forgetting to do it. I get busy working on this damn movie.
2: Yeah. I I would say go ahead and try it out. Um, you know, again, my mission was a little bit different. It wasn't it wasn't a profitability mission, it was to educate people in my community for an election. So what I did was um I gave my book away, the Kindle format of it. It cost me nothing for that replication, right? Right. right. So I could I could give it away for free. It wasn't gonna be an out of dollar, it wasn't gonna be an actual green dollar expense, it's gonna be a blue dollar expense. So um, what I did for, the, um, for four weeks, I had a day every week, because I think you're allowed to give away something for like four days, five something days. Something like
1: that, yeah, five days, I think.
2: And, and, and so I specified it one day a week, and so I did it um, like on a Wednesday, because my, my main thing that I used to communicate was Facebook. Um, you know, this is back in you know twenty thirteen ish, right around there. So I would build up, you know, hey, don't forget, next Wednesday we got our you know Murder and McHenry giveaway. You know, go and you know spread this around, post this. And so I was getting a lot of people to go ahead and post their this link for my book or my giveaway. And so I had all these other people replicating um my my campaign if you will i was actually really proud of it i i I think the first giveaway we gave away something like 1600 copies or something like that yeah you know you got to think i'm joe nobody right nobody knows who i am i i gotta tell you who i am you know to get you interested even to hear from me and so we did that um for about a month and it really did a lot. Um, one, we gave a lot of copies away. I think we wound up giving away something like 3,000 copies in total for those four days. And then after that, um, we got a lot of sales, too. And I, I remember telling Keith, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I mean, this has really spruced up the sales. Um, because at this point in time, you know, the book's already been out for a year or so. And, you know, Keith is like, man, I can't believe we sold that many. <laughs> yeah. He's- you know, I, I can't believe we give it away and then we sell <laughs> stuff. He's like, I'll never get sales. Um, yeah, you know, me either. That wasn't my expectation, but that's what it was in the result. And that's why I shared that idea with you um, because, you know, I, I think it might be a good idea if I you own your own content. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the material's been out there for a while. It's kind of a great way to kind of revive it and give it a fresh look because, you know, these, you're giving something away, so um, people will be gladly to go ahead and post that on their wall because that's going to add value to somebody. Hey, yeah. here's a free book. You know, they're not asking for an email or anything. Just go download it on this day.
0: Yeah, interesting. Anything else in the pipeline, Paul? Any follow-ups?
2: No, there's there a lot of stuff up here, Larry, and, um, and I, I still play around a little bit in McHenry County. Um, that's my home community, will always be my home community. Um, I don't suspect that we'll, Illinois will ever be my primary residence again, but I do expect to have a house out there uh, someday soon. Um, but I still, people still call me and ask me for help on things. And, and I still do that. And um, if I was to write another book, it would be current. It would be now. And I don't need that kind of heat. It it, 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 it would be hot. And I, I, I just I don't need that. You know, um, part of honoring my father is not getting his eldest son killed. And, <laughs> so, and, and, and my mom reminded me about that. You yeah, know, man. I mean. You know, when I was dealing with like Frank and it was all mob stuff and, you know, um, my mom was like, PJ, your father would be so proud of you. And then a couple years later, now I'm dealing with the cops back at home and whatnot. And my mom's like, hey, PJ, you know, your dad wouldn't want you to get killed, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and there, there, there was a reason, you know, my mom, she's got a street sense about her. She understands how the world works a little bit. And her spidey senses were tingling, and mine were too. You know, the people that I was talking about, they were real people. that were connected to real people that do real things. And so I, I, I have to be mindful of that. Paul, was there ever a public corruption uh, uh, investigations opened by, by the FBI or the state police? Yeah, there, there, there certainly have been, but they wind up getting a little corrupted too um it's illinois after all (laughs) yeah i mean it it, it, it's it's really off the chain so um one of the deputies one of the sheriff's deputies his former bag man um he, he he got brain cancer and he made a deal with god and said you know hey you help me out with this and i'll turn a new leaf. and he felt like god was helping him out so he started wearing a wire and um and while he was wearing a wire Um, he went too far up the food chain. Um, he, he got a judge and he shouldn't have got that judge. And, you know, in in the FBI, you know, their, their typical method of operation is not to acknowledge anything. Well, they acknowledge this guy and they acknowledge that he was wearing a wire and they acknowledge they threw him out and I was kind of a bad deal. So. Yeah, the FBI was out there, but the guy that they were working with too, went too far off the food chain and they outed him for it. Mm-hmm. At least, my opinion, anyway. Yeah. Any other questions of uh, Paul?
1: How about you, Larry? You're, you're a writer. Well, you got to do any books. Yeah. You got to take a bunch of your columns and put them together into a book. I've, I've had people tell me I should take all the show notes from a bunch of my podcasts and put them into a Kindle book. I've thought about it. I, I even kind of got a bunch of stuff squirted away in a file. Maybe I'll do that one of these days.
0: Yeah. It, I, I'm uh, a friend of mine who worked with, with me at the Las Vegas sun named Kathy Scott. She was a police reporter at the Las Vegas sun and Kathy's uh, Wrote about Tupac Shakur, the killing in Las Vegas of him, has a book on him, has a book on Ted Binion, has a book on uh, on uh, Susan Berman, who Robert Durst is suspected of killing. So Kathy and I have joined forces and we're putting a proposal together. It's just in the proposal phase now. And as you guys know, the proposal phase is a beast in itself. Um, And we're putting a, a proposal together to get to. Kathy's agent to see if we can make it work about different mob killings. So working on that and, you know, um, you know, Tommy Canali, Gary, yeah. Tommy and I yeah. are working on a, on a true crime, uh, website idea that we're sort of joined forces on. So, you know, bouncing around on a couple of things. Meanwhile, I'm still, still, uh, I ended up, it's killing me because it's keeping me busy. I ended up, uh, uh, Signing on to work full time with casino.org writing about the casino and gaming industry. So that's that's, full time. uh, I didn't realize that's that's become a full-time gig. I love it, but it's more than I anticipated it being. So yeah, staying really busy. I'm excited about
2: it all. Kathy's a great author. Uh we 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 uh we actually met her at uh MobCon.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, Kathy did, I don't
1: remember, but you know, I, I wouldn't mind doing a show on that uh, Benny Binion one of these times. I ought to get hold of her. You ought to hook me up with her and do an interview with her on that Benny Binion.
0: There are He's a couple of really good of books. Yeah, a couple of great books about that, that about that Binion killing. Well, and, and I worked with both of them at The Sun. One was Kathy. Kathy was the cop reporter. And the other one was Jeff Gehrman. Jeff's written a really good book, too, about the Ted Binion killing. Which ended up becoming a TV movie, and and Jeff is at the RJ to this day. Jeff is an investigative reporter mm. at the RJ. You know, the son is tucked into the RJ now. Yeah. Um. And so, uh, yeah, both of them have outstanding books on mm. on well, Benny, and then that. and then Doug Swanson, who's at the University of Pittsburgh now. He's got a big big book on uh, Benny Benning. Yeah, well,
1: that's why I was was would thinking be the Benny Benning, but okay, really okay. I, I was yeah, Doug Benny would be Benin. great
0: too. Yeah, he's great too. Who who you know he just he just had a book come out on the texas rangers which has become somewhat controversial because uh you know when there was this whole naming issue with with football teams the washington redskins and all that doug's book became sort of a centerpiece on the on the debate over whether the texas rangers baseball team should be renamed because the rangers as doug discussed in his book had a history
2: in a Texas history, of, yes. of being
0: a little rough with uh, <laughs> people who didn't look like them. People who weren't white, whether they be yeah, black yeah, or Indians yeah, or yeah, Mexicans yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that because so Doug, Doug had a lot of that. Him, but, but Doug yeah. would be great on your show,
1: Gary. Oh, yeah. yeah. all right. I have to. I'll, I'll, I'll talk As to you with about Kathy that. And Paul knows yeah. Kathy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, we'll talk about that. I talked to your buddy Jeff Schumacher at the Mob Museum this afternoon. I'm doing a show, a Halloween show about the bricks from the, uh, St. Valentine's Day Massacre wall. Yes. <laughs> Did they bring bad luck? Are there, are there uh, ghosts uh, hidden in and around those book, those bricks or, or the spot where that uh, 31, 2122 Clark Street, Chicago? It's it's interesting. It's, uh, people claim that they walk by there at night and they'll hear screams or hear uh, guns go off and, and things like that. But uh, So mm-hmm. I thought it'd be kind of a fun Halloween show. So I talked to Jeff about the uh, mob museum's uh, experiences with the wall and how they got it, and, and uh, how they decided to to make that display and that kind of thing. That's great, Good guy.
0: Did he say there are? No, he he didn't, he, he didn't want time?
1: to get into it. He said, "Well, I personally haven't seen it. He said, heard <laughs> or anything myself, but he said they uh, I, we've had staff and people." claim that they have seen things in and around the museum. He never would lay it on the wall. So <laughs> that's, that's as close as I can get him to say. So uh, anyhow, yeah, that, that, uh, it's just, it's really weird. I, I pulled a picture up on Google maps, street maps of the, the address where it was, where that warehouse was. And it's, there's buildings on either side of it. I believe at least certainly are there's brownstones right next to it. And then there's like a, a it, it, somebody's just fenced it and made it into green grass and planted five trees there. Hmm. So it's just like this little, it's not a public park. It just looks like a little park sitting there.
0: Tore the building down.
1: Huh? Yeah. Now tore the building down a long time ago, back in, uh, I think 67, I believe that's when this like Canadian, Canadian businessman bought all the bricks from the wall and did a variety of things with it. And finally either here, he's a state, sold it to the mob museum. He used to sell those bricks for a thousand bucks each with a letter of authentication. But the story is every time somebody would buy one, they'd want to bring it back because something bad would happen to them. So that's part of the Halloween story.
0: <laughs>
2: Interesting.
0: <laughs> Did, yeah, yeah. And they, they've got almost all the bricks. I mean, they've got some yeah, they do. holes and yeah. Originally there was 417 bricks. But some of them were missing. Now, that
1: guy sold some, and then seven of them ended up totally missing, and they searched all over for him, and, and Jeff said they have bought a couple of bricks from people with the letter of authentication that uh, this, uh, uh, what was the guy's name? He was from Canada pat key or something like that
0: i wonder how he got him did he
1: just he just he, happened he, to show up at the site he just he read about the paper that it was going to be torn down it somehow it hit the, the media that they were tearing down the uh, building where the saint valentine's day massacre was so he called richard daly and uh, the mayor daly put him in contact with the uh, uh, construction company the demolition company that was tearing it down and then he, he worked to deal with them and bought it and i would wow. say how much he paid for it wow but at the time, around that time, that Bonnie and Clyde car was pretty popular, and they sold it for one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars,
0: I think, <laughs> sometime around that time in the seventies. Now, allegedly, the original Bonnie and Clyde cars in Prim, right at, at right. The right. has that been authenticated? Is that yeah, definitely I, the Bonnie yeah, and uh, Clyde best, best. I, I didn't Four or really, five of them were floating around. For yeah,
1: that. I didn't really dig into it, but everything I, I've read up quite a little bit about it because I did that. A motorcycle tour Bonnie Clydesides last summer and best I can tell it's out there in that casino in Prim Nevada and has been there for quite some time now now this guy this patkey he he had a bar he tried a couple of three things with the wall then he put it in his bar and he put made a urinal out of it he uh-huh. he, he made the, he built the wall back up with brick he covered it with glass and, and then men would pee up against it, go down in the urinal, and then up above, he had a sign. A, uh, I don't see that my note here. Right? It's in my uh, podcast, but uh, he had a sign that said something about uh, piss on it. You know, it's just history or something like that. <laughs> so he was quite a character, I got a feeling. I see. <laughs> But the you know, first time I went to that mob museum, it was like, damn, they got the wall here. Because <laughs> I knew they were reputable enough that it would not be, they would have authentic, authenticated that guy that before they ever put that
0: wall up with that kind of a first class operation. For a while, they had the uh, chair, the barber's chair that Albert Anastasia oh, had, they? on loan yeah. from from from, oh, uh, okay. from a guy for about a year or so. Yeah, they had the chair on display. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that Anastasia was sitting in, I don't know what happened to the chair. Some, whoever owns it, lent it to them. Yeah. And, and it's back where whoever originally owned it. It's
1: probably in some other museum back East or something They got all kinds of little museums around. I was in this little police museum and small little museum down in, uh, Florida and they had a 38 caliber gun that, uh, Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald with and had wow. some paperwork there with it. I don't know how, you know, a little music, because they didn't really have much else. They had some interesting things. They had a telephone that they claimed came out of the um, uh, 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 the hotel, the uh, Lexington Hotel that Al Capone might have used the telephone and a few things like that. But, but I thought that Jack Ruby's gun, that would be one hell of an artifact. Yeah, absolutely. They probably happen to stumble across it sometime, probably some, some copper works for Dallas PD. We used to have a deal, I don't know if you remember this, David, we used to have a deal where periodically they'd have all these extra guns in the property room and they're going to destroy them and they'd have a sale yep. for cops. So you'd go in and, and draw, but they only had a lot, when I did it, the one time I did it uh, I'm not a gun, particularly a gun guy, so, but the one time I did it, they, they only had long guns, but I got a feeling they probably had all all the guns at some point in time. <laughs> they probably, I yeah, said, did. Copper bought that at a sale like that <laughs> in, yeah. in 1965 or 66, because they knew, you know, everybody's dead, so there's no need for you to keep a hold of his evidence anymore, and, and uh, Ruby was dead, so unless his estate was claiming it, and they probably didn't claim it, and even if they did, they probably didn't tell them they had it. They did things a little bit different back in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Not Quite as professional as we are today, right, David? <laughs> Big yeah, really, I see some of the stuff these guys are getting indicted for. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> I did that. Oh I yeah, mean, I did that. Oh, I did
0: that. God, scary. What did you did you find out, Gary, in the in the Bonnie and Clyde uh, stuff you put together last year, which was excellent? Um, when uh, and I know you did a piece out of Joplin when 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 they had that shootout and, yeah. and that that guy's got it as a bed and breakfast now. That yeah, it is. You can Joplin stay there. Yeah, is uh, so so the pictures of them with uh, you know her smoking a cigar and uh, him with that Browning automatic and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. And those love poems she wrote, they left behind, I guess, when they ran out of that garage during the shootout in the right. newspaper. The, right. the newspaper in Joplin got a hold of those. Uh, any clue whatever happened to those original pictures and letters? No. Yeah. That, 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 they may still be in the newspaper file up there or down there from where you are.
1: <laughs> yeah, might be. I, I don't know. They, uh, um, they've got a little Bonnie and Clyde museum inside of another building that had some stuff in it. I can't remember. In Joplin. Yeah, in Joplin. We went to it, but it it really wasn't very much. They had had like a dress that was left in there that came out of that, I believe, and a chair that came out of that apartment that would have been there when they were there, but they they didn't have any. I don't remember about the pictures, but yeah, of course technology as it is today you could take any of those pictures and say hey this is one of the original pictures here <laughs> yeah.
0: some guy was on youtube the other day i know we get we it's been more than an hour but I, yeah some guy was on youtube the other day he was up near kansas city international airport trying to find the spot where oh yeah those travel courts were were where they had yeah. to shootout. yeah and he was bouncing around by interesting guy he, he goes to these different historical sites and tries to find and he found some bricks uh, you know there's a plaque out there that says the shootout yeah. was at the such and such travel yeah. courts and yeah. he says that what wasn't exactly where that plaque is he thinks he found some bricks and some foundation work and all that stuff outside yeah. the airport yeah
1: actually that plaque says it was just east of here or west of there and and points out about where the I29 is somewhere right around the I29 so
0: and that's where he went he was kind of walking around the field out there and thinks he found the foundation i don't yeah. know
1: He might have, I don't know. I can't even remember when I was a kid. They used to have those road houses around, big major intersections like that. They were were what we called a bucket of blood. (laughs) They would have drinks and food and and have a a court, a trailer court, not a trailer court, but a a motel (laughs) attached to it. And those were- points. Yeah, out in the uh, out in the county, like Happy Hollow and, yeah. and Trimble, David knows all these places. Boy, they were buckets of blood, man. <laughs> you better be tough to go in there and drink. <laughs> all right, well, it is a little after nine, so I appreciate you guys being here, and I hope y'all had fun. And uh, yeah, very fun, and Thanks for having us. Well, uh, all right. See what we can not dig up here in that latter part of the month, just I. I Dude, this one kind of in at the last minute actually the guy that wanted to do this one of those artists he didn't come tonight i don't know what's up with that but oh well i like i tell you that i don't know if you are how many of you guys are facebook people but that one guy brett giuliano that is usually on these and i hope i was hoping he would come he does those cartoon characters and telling real mob stories with the cartoon characters called it the dust bunny mafias i just find that fascinating Does somebody will do that take those stories and tell them in another medium like that. That's totally like, and the characters aren't even like tough looking characters. He'll take like for Johnny, the Fox Torrio, he made a Fox and, and he'll make some kind of a funny little character that has something oh, to do oh, with the character. It, it, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, That's cool. Probably never make a dime off of it, but I find it fascinating. I, mm-hmm. I applaud his
2: creativity. Well, who knows? I mean, that's a niche type of yeah. thing. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's the million dollar idea. You, right you never know.
1: You never know. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night.
2: night, night. night. Good seeing you, Paul.
0: Thank you. you guys. See Bye. Guys. See you guys. Well,
1: Bye, David. Well, folks, thank you for listening and all your nice comments on the Apple podcast reviews, plus your nice comments on my YouTube channel where I often put up the, uh, at least the Zoom interviews so you can see what my guests look like uh, in real life. Uh, also on our Facebook group, Gangland Wire Podcast. I, uh, I see a lot of really good compliments on that. I've got some great people that help put up really good content. So if you want more mob information that you can shake a stick at go to ganglandwire podcast facebook page or actually it's a group remember that if you support the podcast with some donations you'll get an invite to my live zoom call where we'll share stories answer questions and in general have a good time don't forget to buy me a cup of coffee or a shot and a beer on venmo on your venmo app or you can go to ganglandwire my website ganglandwire.com and donate I have a donate page and and each uh podcast that i put up has a pretty lengthy written blog piece about what the subject is and at the bottom of that page there's a way to donate i have some fixed costs and plus i'm raising some money for my next documentary which is about the K C mob and the election fraud of 1946 i've already had to hire a film guy to do a couple of my interviews and i have one more interview to film plus some uh I have an artist that I pay to do some illustrations for my movie. If you remember from Brothers Against Brothers or Gangland Wire, I use some illustrations in those. And by the way, you can rent those on Amazon for only $1.99 or $2.99 if you want the HD version. And finally, I have my book, Leaving Vegas, the true story of how FBI wiretaps ended mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. Now, that title is a mouthful. But in that book, you're going to find copies of a lot of the transcripts of the actual wiretaps. And if you get the Kindle version, I took those audios that I got out of the court files and linked them to the book in the proper places. I have an explanation and then the actual audio wiretap, which I think is kind of unusual. So you can go to Amazon and get that book and get it in the Kindle version. Gangland Wire supports the Veterans Administration and their programs that help veterans with PTSD. You can call their hotline at 1-800-873-8255 and push one. Or go to their website, www.ptsd.va.gov. I hate saying that www. I left it out when I said something about Gangland Wire. You guys all know I can leave that out. Anyhow, thanks a lot for listening and... uh Listen up next week. I try to put out one a week. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.